This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's playground. This is Mandy Year, and you're listening to Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. It's time to bring Tony Roach back onto the show. Tony of Roach's Guide Service joining us uh, once again. Tony, thanks for being here today. Hey, Cam. Thanks for having me. Well, we, we made it through the holidays, and, uh, you know, there's always a lot of fun stuff going on. You have a good t- holiday break? I did, you know, um, despite the, the rain, looking, <laughs> <laughs> looking out at the rain, and that, that was the only setback. Uh, we had all these great plans. Of, I, always, I obviously have Christmas off, but a lot going on with Christmas. But New Year's Day and New Year's weekend, I always try to take off, and I take the kids fishing somewhere. We go... Uh, you know, we've been to, uh, in our wheelhouses to different locations. Um, we've been to Winnie quite often, even in our portables. You know, we always try to do like one fishing day uh, right on New Year's or the, or the day before New Year's. And uh, yeah, this year we had we had these grandiose plans of doing our fishing trip, and then we watched more and more rain and rain and rain. And uh, we we were able to get out fishing. We ended up going to a small bay uh, and. We set up the pop-up, and we put out tip-ups, and we pike-fished. And uh, we caught a few bluegills, uh, caught some really nice largemouth, um, didn't get to do the great adventure that we had planned, but we made the best of it. Yeah, it's it's been a weird year like that, and, and the fact that uh, people are able to get any ice fishing into this point is great. But I don't know about down there, but it's definitely cooler here. We were about zero this morning. We're going to have a nice stretch of... Uh, well below freezing and sometimes uh, well below zero weather. So finally, I think we can get some thicker ice. Yeah, 100%. It's cold here. Uh, it was cold this morning. I've been doing a lot of scouting. I'm finally getting down to Mille Lacs Lake uh, for the first time. I've been ice fishing all over since really early December. I've been all over Canada, northern Minnesota, North Dakota. Um, but this will be the first time I'm actually on Mille Lacs. This is the latest I've ever been on Mille Lacs. No, typically, you know, I've been guiding for 20 years, uh, ice guiding for about 18, and I think the latest t- time period that I was ever on Mille Lacs was like right around Christmas. This is the very latest time I've ever been on Mille Lacs Lake. Um, typically, it's around December 7th, 8th through the 15th is always kind of that time frame in which we're out there. We start staking, we start looking around, we start taking customers around the 15th, 16th, 17th of December. That's always been my time frame. Uh, this year, we're like a month off of that. That's crazy. <laughs> it, it's, it is crazy. And, and of course, you are, I'm sure, well aware of the, the many misadventures that have been going on on, on Red Lake. There's been multiple ones. Uh, Lake of the Woods had an ice flow thing. And, and part of it is, of course, um, the way Red Lake is designed, and there's just so much wave action that these things can happen. And, of course, Lake of the Woods is a big windswept lake, too. Mille Lacs is a big lake. Do you ever, uh, in typical years, do you ever see anything like that on, on Mille Lacs? Yeah, it happens all the time. Matter of fact, um, I tell the story all the time. Every time I hear about someone getting caught on the other side of a crack, uh, it was about 10 years ago on Mille Lacs. Um, the main lake was open, but the shorelines were all locked up about a mile out, all the way around the lake pretty much. Um, we were on the north end of the lake. We were on nine inches of ice, but it, we had to cross a crack, uh, 
one of the resorts had a bridge over the top. We took a four-wheeler out. I had a handful of customers, and about 4 o'clock, the wind switched from the south to the north, and it started ripping. And, I, and it was right about peak feeding period, about 4, 4.15, and I told my customers, we've got to pack up. I'm worried about that crack. Let's not you know, get stuck on an iceberg because we were about a mile and a half, almost two miles from where we launched, maybe three, almost three. It was, a, it was quite the jaunt. And so the first thing I did is I drove all the way to shore first to check out that crack, and it hadn't moved, so I kind of stayed away from the crack and then just drove parallel with the shoreline and then drove in. We got in just fine. I had to run to Brainerd. It was had to do some last-minute holiday shopping, and I came around the north end, and I saw all these ambulances and EMTs and everything, and I... I didn't really think about the crack at that point. I, I was more focused on, I guess, the uh, the holiday shopping. And I was thinking someone had a heart attack or somebody had a medical emergency. And here about 50 people had gotten stuck out on the other side of that crack. And it was a night rescue and they had the boats out there. And so, yeah, it can happen super fast. I just made a judgment call. Anytime I'm on a bo- big body of water, when you're dealing with early, early ice and open water, uh, I always look at the wind, not just the forecast, but the wind. You know, I was up at Lake of the Woods before, you know, that crack formed, and I actually had to drive over to War Road, and I was amazed how much open water was over by War Road. Mm. And so, you know, yeah, those things can happen. Uh, Red Lake, same thing. Uh, when you have a, a body of water that size, and then you add wind into the mix and thinner ice. I mean, just as an ice guide, I've seen ice pile up on Malax. you know, that's eight to 10 inch ice pile up, uh, you know, six, seven, eight feet in the air. And it's all because of wind. As soon as the wind can, um, you know, kind of get up underneath that ice sheet and it starts moving and the cracks moving, all of a sudden it starts piling up. Uh, it can happen really, really quickly. And so we need these cold temps Kev, to kind of lock everything up. It's, it's been amazing. I mean, I've, I've ice fished pretty consistently since, December 2nd or 3rd all over the place, northern Manitoba, like I said, North Dakota, northern Minnesota. And it's amazing to me how many bodies of water are still open. Like you drive by, you know, Walker Bay, you know, just even a week or two ago and how open Walker Bay was and parts of Cass Lake and parts of Lake of the Woods. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, It's just that sort of year, you know, we've had such warm temperatures and inconsistency with the cold and the rain, um, it's just been that, that sort of year, I guess. So where did you go to get good information on where ice is safe, where you can go? How, how, does, how do people find that information out? So, uh, you know, I know a lot of bodies of water that are usually locked up early. Like, okay, so I went up to northern Manitoba. I went up to Wacusco Falls, uh, Brian from Wacusco Falls. They are up on Snow Lake, Manitoba. I mean, it's about, uh, you know, from the Brainerd area, it's a 13-hour drive north, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's way up. It's six and a half hours north of Lake Winnipeg. So that gives you an idea. So they were cold up there. So I had been watching the forecast, and I saw that they had really cold temps in early December. And so I just called Brian and reached out to Brian, and he was actually hunting in Saskatchewan. And uh, he said, yeah, I can meet you later in the week. We got good ice. And so I was able to ice fish up there with Brian. And then uh, 
After that, I came back. I went to Red Lake. We walked out. We picked a day with no wind. Uh, we walked out, went about a mile out, caught walleyes out there. And then from there, um, you know, I really – I have a lot of small bodies of water, like back in the woods, all around Minnesota, basically, where I know it, it gets good ice early. But we still – I still manage to get out there uh, safely as a team. And I'll tell you how I do it is I always go with a buddy, right? We both have float suits on. We always have the, the picks on us. And then we use a spud bar and then an auger. And then we're measuring ice. And we're always I'm, – I'm checking every inch of ice that we're walking on. And some of these small bodies of water, I was able to fish crappies. I was able to fish bluegills, even perch. Um, but we checked every inch of ice. Where it got sketchy was around Christmas when we had rain. Mm. I laid off being on the ice because I saw so many weird things that happened to the ice. That ice got really chunky. It looked like April. And so, um, you know, I backed up ice fishing for a few days. But if you remember in there, we did, we had a stretch of about four or five days where it was above freezing day and night. And that was the stretch in which I backed up of ice fishing because of those ice conditions. Even though we had five, six, seven inches of ice, it got really weak. And even for walking traffic, I was really nervous. I mean, when you drill holes and you're drilling a hole in, you know, five, six inches of ice and it's just coming up super chunky and it was just really saturated with rain. Um, I just waited a few days. It actually cooled off uh, right around New Year's there. And then I was able to get back on the ice again and fish really consistently. I've been doing it almost every day. I've been on, I've been on the ice every week for at least a three or four day stretch. Um, except for, you know, that Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, the day after Christmas um, time frame. But every time, you know, throughout since all of December and now January, I've been able to stay on, on consistent nights, but it's doing it safely and checking every inch of ice. Yeah, and I know a lot of people say, oh, that just takes too much time. But, well, you know what? Uh, you'll have way too much time if you go through the ice. So check it. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen a lot of um, really risky things by anglers this year. I mean, ice that we were walking on that I knew where there was open water. I saw people launching ATVs, and, uh, you know, I flagged one gentleman down and said, hey, there's an inch of ice over here. You guys don't want to be out here with ATVs. If you are out here, like, park them right here and just stand here. Do not go over here because we weren't walking over on, a different, on that location. Um, um, when we had that rain, I saw – if you remember, we had that rain, but we had snow mixed in with that. And uh, even up around uh, Black Duck area, there was a couple of lakes that I had fished where um, there was giant holes in the ice where, the you know, either someone had drilled a hole or a muskrat had created a hole there. And then that snow kind of capped over those holes. So it looked like good ice and it looked like just a hard snowpack. But I was able to just stick my spud bar right through there and open it up, and it was a giant hole that you would fall through, you know, if you had tried to walk over it. And so, again, you know, checking every inch of ice is always the best policy. There's a lot of lakes around Brainerd that, have, you know, kind of froze over and then opened back up uh, around Aiken, same thing. You know, I've been all over the state, and it there has been some consistent ice on some of these smaller lakes, um, and now we're seeing, you know, safe ice again but mm -hmm. you can't be you can't get um have a false sense of security just because it's cold now you have it takes time to heal that stuff up right and uh 
I've just seen a lot of weird stuff and a lot of weird inconsistencies this year. But if you take your time and you're walking and checking, it doesn't take that much longer uh, to do that than it does just to buzz out there. It really doesn't. Um, and, again, you're not going to find yourself in situations where you're going to have to get rescued. Float suits, man. Um you got to have those. Now that the technology is available, you're crazy not to take advantage of it. Yeah, I tell every angler, you know, I, I, I can't imagine ice fishing anymore without a float suit. I wear mine in the fall. I wear it in the spring when the water's cold. Uh, you know, even though I have life jackets in my boat, I still I wear that float suit. It's, it's a lifesaver. And I wear the picks because the ice conditions that we've had, especially like when we had that rain, that ice yeah. was so slick. You can't grip anything, and so you need those ice picks. So if you go through with the float suit, you can pop back up onto that ice. And, uh, yeah, knock on wood, I have never personally fallen through the ice except for at landings in the spring. Um, You know, I broke through some honeycombed ice to get to shore. But I've never fallen through the ice, thankfully, knock on wood. (laughs) But I always have my float suit on. Um, I can't imagine going out ice fishing without it. Um. Are the fish behaving weirdly because of the weird weather, or are they acting like they normally do for early ice fishing? Uh, They're biting pretty good. The only weird part about fishing this year is because we don't have any snow. Uh, The fish are really spooky. Everywhere I've fished, they've been super spooky. Like, um, you know, using forward-facing sonar, for example, you see a school of crappies, even in deep water, even in 30 feet of water. Um, for whatever reason, the sound is transferring through this without snow. And, boy, it's hard to get on them. I, I found a bunch of perch in, like, 7 to 10 feet of water, for example. And they were in the weeds, and I was really excited. I could see them all in there. I knew they were perch because I fished this lake a lot. <laughs> I drilled one hole, Kevin. I went back, and they were gone. <laughs> and it happens a lot with crappies. I'll see them. They were, it was 30 feet of water. They were about 20 feet down. Uh, just found the mother load, was pumped, you know, because we had spud barred our way out there, drilled one hole, gone. Even, you know, walking over the top of them are gone. So, if anything, they've been spooky, but when you can just let it settle down, let's say set up the pop-up or just sit there and wait, they'll come back, and they've been biting really well. Um, How long? Let's say what we have now is what we're going to have the rest of the winter, although I've heard maybe this is just a little break, but... Uh, before warm temps again. Let's just assume we're going to be in normal temps from here on out. How long before you're feeling comfortable enough to take some uh, some uh, transportation and or the the big house out? Um, I always err on the side of, uh, like, I want a little more ice than even what the DNR recommends sometimes. You know, they say, you know, 12-plus for trucks or whatever. I like to have about 14 or 15 inches of ice. Before I stay taking a, a vehicle out there, and then I need a little bit more even for my wheelhouse, and that's just me. Um, I sort of err on the side of caution. Uh, I run a business, and so I can't put anybody at risk. So we check every inch ice. There's been times where I've walked from shore out to the mud flats, which is six, seven miles, with a spud bar and an auger, and staked every inch of that ice to get out there. Um, you know, it's sort of a judgment call. We, we I want to get really, really comfortable on the ice before I start driving. I'm the, I'm one of the last people to drive on the ice, really. Um, you know, especially today with ATVs and, and rangers and that sort of thing. Um, uh, 
even when the ice starts to get thick, I'm still taking my ranger out. Uh, it's kind of cool nowadays with all the hub style houses. You can fish a lot more people. And so, you know, you don't have to rely on just the flip overs for a couple. Those hub style houses, especially the bigger otters and stuff that we fish out of, you know, you can fish six, seven people in there. So I'm going to be leaning on my hub houses this year. Um, you know, hopefully start being able to haul, uh, you know, people out with the rangers coming up here. And then, yeah, it is, it'll just be a day-by-day day day basis. I'm not, it, you can't really set a time or a date on the calendar where you can say, hey, time to drive. Because we might get a bunch of snow in the time in the meantime, or you just never know. Um, I've seen too many inconsistencies this year to just say, "Hey, um, I'm ready to just wheel out on a lake without checking." I'm still checking it. If I haven't been there, or I've, if I haven't stepped foot uh, uh, over that chunk of ice, even if we are starting to take ATVs, me or one of my guides is going to be out front with a spud bar checking before people drive over the top of it. That's just how I go about it. I'm Kevin Cochran of Kevin Cochran's Muskie Guide Service, and I catch fish bigger than Kev Jackson on a daily basis. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley with Dick Beardsley Fishing Guide Service and Fish House Rentals. Are you looking to plan your next ice fishing adventure? Well, look no further as Bemidji, Minnesota is the place to be. There are over 400 fishing lakes within a 25-mile radius of Bemidji. Come drop a line at becoming a fishing legend. While on your fishing adventure, explore the hundreds of well-groomed snowmobile trails that Bemidji has to offer. Don't forget to take a picture with the historic Paul Bunyan and Bathe the Blue Ox. Bemidji, bigger fish and better stories. This is Toby Cavallivag. All of us at LOA are proud to make Kev Jackson sound smart. Sort of. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. How has this weird weather affected you and your other guides so far this winter? Um, we've had to drive a lot. Uh, we have, you know, luckily I have a lot of um, customers that I've had for years and years um, that wanted to fish. Let's say if they wanted to fish for Malax, for example. We, a couple of them that were, came from Wisconsin, we ran up to Red Lake for a day, caught a bunch of walleyes, then I took them pan fishing. We walked out on a little pan fish lake, um, did that. Uh, I've had other customers that either rescheduled or just canceled, but we've had a lot of cancellations. Um, a lot of people, I just told them, I said, hey, uh, you know, I can't get you to quality fishing, and, um, you know, without walking, for example. <laughs> well, a lot of the lakes I fish, especially in Lacs, are big bodies of water, right? You can't necessarily walk out there. And a lot of my clientele, they're not going to walk two miles. I might walk two miles or three miles, but they don't want to walk, so we've had to cancel. Uh, people understand. It stinks for me as a guide. You know, I want to be out there fishing with them. And I, I look forward to fishing with a lot of my customers year after year. Uh, certain people only come certain times a year. You know, I might only see them early ice, and then I... I may see them in June again, or, you know, there's just, that's kind of the time period they fish. And, uh, yeah, some of them had to cancel and I, I'm probably not going to see them till open water again, because that was their time period. Uh, that, that time between Christmas and New Year's were really busy with a lot of families. So I get to fish with the dads and the kids, uh, time period. Well, that's gone and the kids are back at school. So, you know, um, that, that I missed out on. And, uh, um, you know, that hurts a little bit, especially, you know, from running a business perspective, but everyone's safe and that's my main goal. And you know this firsthand as a guide in the outdoors in Minnesota, 
but it's not just you know sporting uh, fishing and hunting it's ski resorts it's snowmobile dealers it's guys who make their money plowing driveways all winter long um, if the weather doesn't behave the way it's supposed to behave it really wreaks havoc economically yeah you know um i i joke around as an ice angler because i have a lot of friends that love snowmobiling and uh i always say that uh, you know we can get t- tons of snow as long as we have about 15 inches of ice or 16 inches of ice before we get the snow um but you know having a year like this where the you know completely no snow yeah it affects all aspects of the outdoor industry i've loved it um as a as an angler so far the lakes that i have been able to get back to like some of these backwoods lakes that uh you got to go down a logging trail to get to and then you got to hike in um, I'm able to pull an otter sled with all my gear and really scout those lakes where I haven't been able to do that for a couple of years. Uh, the last few winters have been absolutely brutal with snow. So, um, you know, some of these lakes uh, we revisited, uh, me and Pete and a couple of my guys, we went back, Nick, we checked, uh, you know, some lakes we hadn't fished for three or four years or lakes that we were prospecting. And I said, hey, um, you know, there's a, there was a ton, an abundance of your class of small crappies the last time we checked it, but that was three years ago. And so we were able to get back into these lakes and check them, and, man, we were pleasantly surprised. Uh, I was amazed at um, some of the quality fishing. But we also did find some winter kill lakes from the last few years where there was nothing there. Uh, Kevin, we hit a couple lakes, I know, with Nick and I, where we scouted and scanned and scanned and scanned, and... There was nothing there. They were, I mean, it was obvious there was winter kill. Mm. Wow. Um, so, Tony, as uh, as we get ready now for um, later uh, ice fishing, obviously uh, one of the most popular things that has really grown in popularity in the last, I don't know, five years or so, uh, the explosion of eel pout lovers. Um, that's going to start happening pretty soon. Yeah, Kevin, I love eel pout fishing. You know, uh, I just remember as a kid uh, on on Winnie, uh, on Mille Lacs, ca- you know, catching these giant eel pout like right at prime time or at night after dark, after after the walleyes had slowed down, all of a sudden you see a big mark on your screen and you catch an eel pout. And I just remember thinking how cool they were back then um, and seeing them piled up. I remember, you know, I, I'm kind of in between the era of, where they used to really pile them up on the ice. Um, you just see kind of random ones. And then my generation, for the most part, were just letting them go. We weren't even eating them or anything. But now it's, it's great to see that reemergence of uh, a category of species that people are excited about because I love catching pout. Um, I always have. Uh, now, I, I guess in the modern era, with having a wheelhouse and then all the modern electronics, it's really fun because you can sit in the comforts of home and catch eel pout. Um, I would say January, you start to see a few, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, February, it starts to ramp up towards late February. Sort of the end of the walleye season is when you really start to see that ramp up of good to great eel pout fishing. And it's amazing how many good eel pout fisheries we have kind of in our own backyard, you know, Leech Lake and Winnie and uh, um, Cass and, you know, all these good eel pout destinations, even Gull Lake and Brainerd, 
uh, you know, they're full of eel pout, and it's great to see people go out and get them. It's a nighttime bite. Uh, for the most part, we get a few during the day. But, um, yeah, it, it's kind of fun. I, I, I'm i actually looking forward to doing a few trips this year. I don't do a ton of guiding for eel pout. It's more fun and recreation for me. But I do have a few customers that, uh, you know, I've, I've watched, watched a ton of YouTube videos, and now they want to do it, or they caught a few with us. But now they just want to fish eel pout. So we're going to do a couple nighttime trips later than later in February, and I'm looking forward to that. Man, I, I got to tell you, it, I think back to the eel pout festival days on Leech Lake, and and what you know started out as kind of a, a joke festival, just something to do in the winter. I mean, if they brought that back, that would be like a legit tournament now. Yeah, I think if it was less of a, a, a party like it used to be uh if it was more of just like you said like a tournament or derby style or even just a catch record release i think you could get a ton of traffic and you'd get a you know you'd get a lot of people turning heads and uh uh i know a few contests on malax like hunter's point used to have um it was the perch and pout hunt in mm-hmm. march and people would bring in their biggest eel pout their biggest perch and then they're you know, they had prizes and derbies. If they did something like that where you buy a button, you know, there's a bunch of prizes, but it's a catch, record, release, like a phone app, I think it would be really cool. I would love to do that. You'd get a ton of traction if you did something like that. You, you absolutely would. Hey, you mentioned uh, new technology, and that brings up uh, another topic. I just wanted to get your thoughts on um, the DNR, uh, and I'm sure you're well aware of this, putting together uh, a group to talk and discuss the effects of technology, whether it be you know forward-facing sonar, or even just uh, technology of social media getting the word out more, uh, and the kind of effects it's having on fishing. What are your thoughts on that? I know you probably have everything that uh, that's out there, right? Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of technology. Um, obviously, in in our lifetimes, technology only gets better; it doesn't go backwards, and so. Uh, you know, I think the DNR is taking a step in the right direction to at least discuss, um, you know, uh, how technology is affecting fish populations. And, you know, um, the more anglers that have these technologies, um, it just it's going to be more and more fishing pressure. You take uh, mapping technology, sonar, forward-facing sonar, um better boats, better wheelhouses, better everything in fishing, um, you know, it's going to have an effect on, on fish populations. And so, you know, yeah, it certainly has to be discussed, uh, whether it means, you know, different regulations as far as, um, you know, I'm not saying limiting technology, but regulations uh, as far as, uh, you know, harvest limits and that sort of thing. I, I don't know where it's going to go next. But I think the discussion has to be done now uh, because it's already here, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I would rather have the discussion now than to look back in 10 years and say, man, you know, we really screwed up. We should have maybe had reduced bag limits or something. Because I want to see fishing how it is today. I want to see the same fishing in 10 years or better, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of catch and release, special regulation lakes. When it comes to panfish, um, yeah, uh, I want to see the fish, the fishing continue to thrive. I want my kids to experience the type of fishing that I've had in my lifetime. Um, 
you know, I, I always hear, like, the good old days of fishing. Well, I think the good old days of fishing are still here. I think some of the fishing is way better now than it maybe was even when I was a kid, and I want to see that continue. Um, slot limits, when I, you know, slot limits were introduced on walleyes, for example, when I was a kid, and a lot of people grumbled about it. Some people don't like it today. I am a huge fan of slot limits. I've seen lakes that have implemented slots that have been, you know, they're way better fisheries as a result of it. Yep. And uh, same with these special regulations when it comes to panfish. So if so, if if technology is affecting fish populations, then we should be discussing it right now and not waiting five or ten years till it's too late. Yep, totally agree. And I love slot limits as well. Uh, just. I just think of Winnie right off the top of my head, one of the first ones to implement one, and how that turned that fishery around in, in pretty short order, really. Yeah, 100%. Even, uh, you know, reducing bag limits on perch. When I was a kid, the perch fishing was incredible on a ton of lakes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it was 100 fish, and then it was 50, and then it was 20. I, like, I think 20 is more realist, <laughs> realistic, right? I mean, 100 perch. When you clean 20 perch right now, that's a lot. Uh, I can't imagine 100 back then. Uh, same thing with, with these bluegill lakes, these crappie lakes. I don't need to, to keep a whole bunch of fish to, um, you know, kind of have that as the barometer as how my fishing trip went. Yes, there's certainly times that I do keep fish. I like to have a fish fry. We just kept some crappies the other day. Uh, we were fishing fairly deep water. We brought them up, we kept some crappies, and then we went and caught a couple pike. To, uh, we, we've been talking about pickling pike. So me and my son, we did this pickled pike recipe. He loves pickled northern. So we kept six small pike under the 22-inch slot to pickle. And so um, I'm all about keeping a few fish. I'm, not, I'm a fan of fish fries. I'm a fan of eating fish. But we also have to be careful as, as anglers and uh, make sure that we're not over-harvesting the great resources that we currently have. Absolutely. And I agree with you as far as uh, being kind of in the good old days of fishing now. Uh, I think for a a couple of reasons, certainly I'm just thinking back to when, you know, I first started doing this show and finding somebody to talk to from mid-July to, you know, early September. Good luck. It was it was slim pickings. It was hard. Uh, now, even in the dog days, you know, people are catching walleyes. And I think the other thing that has helped is more and more anglers, this generation of anglers, uh, is not so dependent on one species. Now, granted, you've got those guys that, because muskies are so unique, they're going to be out there fishing muskies all the time. And everybody's got their one that's their favorite. But I know more and more anglers all the time that it's like, well, the walleyes aren't biting today, let's go bass fishing. Or the bass aren't biting today, let's, let's go for crappies. Uh, the, the new anglers seem to be much more open to fishing for whatever's biting. 100%. When I was a kid, it was uh, when I fished with my dad, we were going walleye fishing. I mean, that was it. We were going walleye fishing. I remember uh, being on Mille Lacs and, like, begging him to go catch smallmouth because there was smallmouth there. And, you know, I, I only would catch smallmouth, like, in the rivers around my house, right? But Mille Lacs had big smallmouth even when I was a kid. And uh, my dad, <laughs> he just didn't want to do it. So I've always been a multi-species angler. I love catching pike i love catching smallmouth largemouth crappies i i just was uh speaking at a school today we were talking a little bit about um just the fishing industry as a whole but as a as an angler what drives me as an angler uh is 
that multi-species uh, fact, but also we're four seasons. Like, I love ice fishing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, come March, I cannot wait to get out spring crappie fishing, <laughs> or I fish suck white suckers in the cricks. As soon as the cricks open up, that's kind of the first open water experience that I have. Um, and then it's running over to Green Bay and catching giant walleyes, going up to the Rainy River, catching sturgeon. You know, I, I just love all aspects of fishing, and I love whatever's biting the best. Uh, I'm with you, Kev. If the walleyes aren't biting, uh, take me bass fishing. I'll, I'll throw a, a, a jerk bait or a plastic or whatever it is that they're hitting on. Um, I'd rather do that than not catch them. Well, Tony, do you uh, head south every winter and, and do a little southern fishing when the ice is going on up here? Yeah, usually about March. Um, I've had it up to my ears with <laughs> ice fishing because I get to ice fish every day. Uh, so March, we try to go somewhere and fish. Uh, last year, uh, went down to Florida and fished the Tampa Bay area. I hadn't been in that area ever. Um, you know, I fished down in uh, Naples and Marco Island. I fished all over Florida, but I hadn't been in Tampa Bay. Um, I like going to Texas. Uh, last year, went to Louisiana in in May and did the big bull reds with a bunch of the crew from Rapala. Uh, that was a blast. So, yes, absolutely love it. I like more inshore stuff than I do offshore. Um, I've done the trolling in Cabo, and I like it. It's fun. But I think inshore casting, like casting for snook, for example, like what we did in Tampa Bay, that's right up my alley. Uh, <laughs> I could do that all day long, you know, throwing – uh, plastics or jerk baits or pilchard minnows up in shallow water and catching fish. It's a, it's a riot. Well, Tony, if uh, people are getting ready to uh, get their spring and summer trips set, or if they want to try to get out there and do some ice fishing with you, how do they go about doing that? You know, you can find me on Facebook or uh, Instagram, Tony Roach Fishing. Otherwise, Roach's Guide Service is the best way to do it, Kev. All right. And one final question. People who are got themselves some Christmas money or some gift cards from some great sporting goods stores, what should they be using it on? Besides electronics, let's not go to electronics. What else should they be using it on? Uh, I highly recommend battery-powered augers. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, lithium augers, they've changed. There's light lithium augers, like the Strikemaster 24-volt. I love that thing. Uh, if you don't have a float suit, that should be the top priority on your list. And then there's a ton of spoons out there right now. Um, I designed a rattle and roach spoon for VMC. That's been a fish killer all season long. We've been catching walleyes, pike, uh, crappies. Everything loves that rattle and roach spoon. So there's a ton of different baits out there. You know, if if you want to pick up something for ice fishing that's not going to break the bank, lures are always great to have. You know, there's always new product that comes out every single year from all these companies. And, uh, you know, that, that's the nice thing about the era we live in. We live in uh, an era where we have great technology and great tackle. <laughs> and so uh, if you want to feed your addiction as an angler, it's pretty easy to spend money nowadays. All right. Tony Roach of Roach's Guide Service, great friend of the show. We love having him on. Tony, thanks for joining us. And, uh, you know, like not just you but everybody, be out there, have fun, be safe. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Good luck to everybody out there. Glad to see these cold temps finally. Bob Barn, yeah. Country! Country!